0: Encourage Courage to Lead, episode 182.
1: You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast.
0: Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Bill McDermott. Bill McDermott graduated from Wake Forest University and launched a career in banking that spanned 32 years. He first started out as a repo man as part of the Wachovia Bank Management Training Program before moving to Atlanta to work for Peachtree Bank, which later became SunTrust. There he distinguished himself as a great producer of loans and deposits for the bank, climbing the ranks to ultimately become a group vice president in the Commercial Banking Division. In 2001, Bill's Group won the SunTrust Cup for being the highest performing commercial banking group in the company. Over the next eight years, Bill worked in community banking, becoming a top producer for Ironstone Bank, and later helping to double Embassy National Bank's initial capital in loan production within 15 months. However, in early 2009, as the Great Recession was rapidly altering the economy, Bill's position as Chief Commercial Lender was eliminated. As Bill searched for what was next, he realized that he had built a treasure trove of knowledge in banking and financial acumen and had a desire to share it. So Bill combined his sales success from his banking insurance experience with his deep financial and analytical skills and launched the Profitability Coach in April of 2009. His purpose quickly became making business owners better financial managers. Over the past 11 years, he has served over 200 clients by delivering results-oriented insights helping to take them from financial confusion to financial clarity. When Bill's not working, you can find him on the golf course, gardening, spending time with his family, and leading a small group at his local church. Bill, welcome to the program.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Harlan. Really excited to be with you
0: today. Absolutely. No, this is this is good. I've been looking forward to this. So, Making business owners better financial managers. That's one thing I've found. A lot of small business owners are technically great at what they do, They don't really understand the numbers. They don't really understand the ins and outs of the financial side of their business. Is that what you're finding with most of your clients?
1: Yeah, it is. So Warren Buffett was quoted saying that the language of business is accounting. And you as a small business owner need to not only understand a language but become fluent in it and so a lot of business owners haven't learned that language and it is a foreign language to many business owners absolutely. so i have found the exact same thing you have they can be tra- great technicians uh but they really struggle with the financial side of their business
0: yeah absolutely and i mean i'm i'm, I'm conversational let's say <laughs> in accounting i'm definitely not fluent uh but yeah, I can I can see that. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about all of that, how you got your start, how you help the folks you're working with, um, lots of other things on the on the topics. But first, I've got some questions that I like to ask every one of my guests. Um, listeners, though, these yeah, are the questions. absolutely. These are the questions asked uh, by host James Lipton on his TV show, Inside the Actors Studio, where he asks these questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, okay. film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So if you're ready... Question number one, what is your favorite word? Possibility. What is your least favorite word? Shame. What turns you on? Uh,
1: Seeing those light bulb moments where business owners all of a sudden achieve financial clarity.
0: What turns you off?
1: Ah, that's a good question. I'm going to have to think about that one for a second. Um, uh, seeing people who think they know what they're talking about, but really don't.
0: <laughs> All right. What sound or noise do you love?
1: Uh, I love acapella uh, vocals. Um, anything, pentatonics is a, uh, is a current group. Uh, Brigham Young has a male and female a cappella group that's really good. So uh, uh, love to hear three, four-part harmony.
0: Nice. Excellent. All right. What sound or noise do you hate?
1: Uh, well, sometimes the alarm going off at 7 a.m.
0: <laughs> yes. I am currently on mountain time, and my clients are on the East Coast. So I have my first meeting tomorrow at 5 a.m.,
1: that's oh that boy. It's
0: gonna be fun. Absolutely. Yeah,
1: yeah. Go to bed early tonight yes, for sure. You you.
0: <laughs> All right. Bill, question number seven. What is your favorite curse word?
1: So when I was young, uh the girl next door, uh, her name was Vicky, and her favorite curse word was oh Minneapolis. And that's always stuck with me. And I know that's not a curse word, but to her it was. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: awesome. Okay. Um, What profession, other than your own, would you like to attempt? Gosh,
1: I think I would like to be an orchestra conductor for the New York Philharmonic.
0: Nice. Very cool. All right. What profession would you not like to do?
1: Uh, The repo man at the bank where I started. (laughs)
0: We're definitely going to talk about that. Absolutely. All right. Final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates?
1: Uh, well, I certainly do believe it exists. Uh, and I'd like to help hear the words well done, good and faithful servant. Excellent. Very cool.
0: All right, Bill, we're going to come back, talk about how you got your start, um, how you got to where you are now, who you help and how you help them. And at some point transition into courage and leadership. Okay. All right. Excited about that. Absolutely. All right. Listeners, we're going to be talking about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine any more. You can have that and more when you join my business success mastermind group. Join my business success mastermind group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Bill McDermott. Bill, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. It's good to have you here this morning. So tell me about being a repo man. How was that experience for you?
1: Wow. So, um, It was a it was a combination of circumstances. So graduated from Wake Forest uh, in May. Uh, My wife and I were going to be married in June and I did not have a job. And so uh, I knew I wanted I was a political science major, um, but I had been interviewing with banks and my dad was a banker. And so you had three possibilities if you were going to work for Wachovia Bank, which was either being the retail banking system, uh, which was the branch network, the corporate banking system, or the sales finance system. And so I didn't get a chance to choose because this was my first job. And so uh, Wachovia chose uh, the auto dealer section, the sales finance department for me. And they believed, which I uh, understand why, the best way to learn how to make loans is have to collect loans first. And so if you can imagine a 22-year-old uh, newly married guy going door to door, collecting on past due car loans, uh, past due mobile home loans. Uh, and I had, uh, I had a tow bar in my trunk uh, because if you couldn't pay the, uh, the loan, you took the car. And you towed it back to the dealer because it was full recourse back to the dealer as far as the bank is concerned. Um, I can tell you stories about being chased by Dobermans. Uh, I can tell you stories about being chased uh, with baseball bats. I can tell you stories of one particular client. Uh, He didn't pull the gun out of the drawer, but he opened the drawer so that I could see it with the gun in it. Uh, I had one situation where actually uh, a past due uh, client uh, was ahead of me uh, in, uh, on the street. Uh, I didn't know it at the time. He actually backed his car up, tapped my bumper, got out, came to the door. Harlan, I made the mistake of actually opening the window, and he proceeds to choke me. With my, with my own tie uh, and, and so obviously I survived all of that. Uh, and despite all those experiences, uh, you do learn uh, about people's character and you do learn that people sometimes do lie. They don't always tell the truth. Oh, I'll pay that payment this Friday. Well, Friday comes around, doesn't happen. And so, um, but my wife, I uh, did think she might be the youngest widow that ever uh, that ever lived. And so I did that for about 15 months wow. and then decided, you know, we're going to move to Atlanta because we were in a small town called Kinston. And K- Kinston's a lovely city, uh, lots of tobacco farming that goes on there. Uh, but it was a town of then ten to 12,000 people. Not much opportunity for, you know, socializing for 22-year-old couples that were just out of college. So we got our U-Haul truck. We moved to Atlanta. Uh, What pulled us to Atlanta, my college roommate, uh, was in PA school at Emory University. And he said, we're having a great time. I said, we'll be right down. (laughs) And so that led me to, uh, to leave North Carolina. Uh, and start working for Peachtree Bank. Nice.
0: Wow, fifteen months! I don't know if I would have made it that long.
1: Well, it's it a- uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I wanted to give it a full year uh, because you know my I was raised uh, anything <laughs> worth doing is worth doing well, so I didn't want to call it quits at a, in a short period of time. But but it was a long fifteen months. I promise you. I
0: bet. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> So you said your your degree, you're going for political science. Um, yes. What, I assume you had some idea of where you wanted to go with that. Were you looking to get into politics, into law enforcement? What were you thinking?
1: Well, funny story. Uh, I, actually, uh, I actually wanted to become pre-med. And so starting at, at Wake Forest, you take your intro biology and your intro chemistry. Uh, my grades were good, but they weren't good enough. So then I thought, well, if I'm not going to be a banker, uh, I'm going to be an attorney. And, uh, but then what really happened, Arlen is, uh, is I fell in love. Uh, I married my high school sweetheart. Uh, we just celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary this past Saturday.
0: Congratulations. And,
1: And so, you know, I had heard that if you go to law school and you're married, uh, that really kind of takes a toll on on a marriage. So I decided against uh, going to law school and went into banking as a political science major. So I'd love to tell you in college, I had it all figured out. But the reality was I didn't. Uh, But evidently uh, uh, it was it was meant for me to be in banking. Uh, Because I spent 32 years of my career there and it was a it was a great experience.
0: That's awesome. And working for some of the bigger names in in banking, especially especially around the Atlanta area. Yes. Yes.
1: Peachtree Bank, which became Trust Company, which then became SunTrust, you know, and uh, talking a little bit about courage, I guess maybe that 15 months uh, for me was a little bit of a of an exercise Uh, encourage, you know, because obviously persevering through some of those, uh, some of those difficult items, I know our, uh, our podcast is the courage to lead. Now, uh, I'm not sure I was leading anybody, maybe other than myself, uh, through that experience. Uh, But certainly, uh, you know, I was raised. uh, My dad told me when I was very young, you know, uh, Bill, anything worth doing is worth doing well. And so part of that was really the courage to stay the course uh, in, in an attempt to, to do things well.
0: Absolutely. Well, and I'm sure you learned some, uh, some lessons from that, how, how to approach things, how to maybe talk your way out of things (laughs) or talk your way into things. (laughs) Um, And that those, those difficult times, they don't, they don't, stop you. They may slow you down a little bit, right? But you can be resilient and come back.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, so my approach, uh, when I'm talking to clients, whether it's in banking or whether it's in coaching, uh, uh I love Covey's phrase, uh, start with the end in mind and walk backwards. Uh, a lot of people have a picture in their head of, uh, of how they see things going. And of course, I believe, uh, the human brain is a very powerful thing. Uh, if we can see it, we can achieve it. Uh, but if we can't see it, we have a hard time achieving it. Absolutely.
0: And so uh, during the, the repo time, did you learn then how to be better about making loans and improving loans and what things to look for?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, banking, banking is a misunderstood business, Harlan. Um, banks don't loan their own money. Uh, they loan our money because when we uh, put our deposits in, they loan those out. And so banks can only afford 1% of all the loans that they make. They can only afford to lose 1%. Hmm. So they have to be right 99%, 100% of the time. And so learning how loans went bad early on for that 15 months. Sure. It was difficult. Um, but you you quickly learn there are kind of the three Ds in banking that can create issues. Obviously, the first one is is death. Uh, if someone uh, dies, you know you no longer have a borrower. Uh, divorce. A lot of times divorce occurs and assets are split. Uh, and then the other one is is disability. you know a lot of people become disabled and are unable to produce an income. so, those were three of the things that we had to watch out from and and then of course the other thing is um what do they say it, character is what someone does uh when no one else is looking and so when someone is past due on their on their car loan or their mobile home loan uh you find out real quickly uh what their character uh is made up of uh, and if they have signed that loan and they have an intention to fully pay it back, that's a totally different conversation than uh, having a conversation with someone who's trying to get out of paying the loan back.
0: But whatever you did, you did it well because you've won all kinds of awards, right? The SunTrust cup. And
1: Yeah. And so uh, probably the next step in my career was, so learning how to make loans, um but the the next thing is um you have um, you have to to learn sales skills and so um part of my training at trust company which became suntrust uh was learning that uh first you have to be able to build a relationship with the business owner uh you have to ask thoughtful questions so that you understand them their business what they're attempting to do so uh, an acronym of mine became uh, BOIG, B-O-I-G. So when I was talking to a business owner, uh, tell me about your business, tell me about your organization, the O, tell me about you individually, which is the I, and then tell me a little bit about the goals that you want to accomplish for the next 12 months. And so having that acronym that I could use in almost every situation helped me become a, a, a good salesperson. Um, I also think um, clients have told me I'm, I'm very strategic. I have the ability to connect dots in circumstances to come up with a cohesive plan. Uh, and then uh, uh, they tell me I have a strong level of empathy. You know, I can put myself in their situation and quickly understand what they might be thinking or what, what they might be feeling. And so uh, part of that, I think, has also helped me build relationships with people to the point where they really trusted me. Uh, with their not only with their business but with some of their financial questions that they had,
0: and those are perfect skills to set you up as a coach too.
1: That yeah, and so you know the uh, the great recession hit in two thousand nine um, I thought I was actually going to be a a, uh, um, a career banker, uh, but when your your position is eliminated. Uh, your income goes from six figures to zero. Uh, talk about some courage, uh, figuring out, oh my gosh, you know, what's next, you know. And so I came home, told my wife, I cried, she cried. Uh, and then and the next thing is, uh, you know, I uh, uh I pray, and I say, okay, uh, you've opened a door or you've closed a door, excuse me, uh, open a window. And by the way, do you mind putting a little neon around it for me so that I can see that window? Uh, but little did I know, I, I really think uh, that plan was was divine because at 54, uh, I was a banker uh, turned business coach, uh, entrepreneur. You know, I went from a, a, a person uh, as a banker, you know, the, the knock against bankers is they say no all the time because they decline more loans than they make. Uh, and so going from someone that says no to an entrepreneur who says, yes, you can do it, was, uh, was, was quite, a, quite a shift. And so, um, you know, as I think back about it, my banking experience, so I had a mentor and he said one thing to me, and I think it's true in this situation. Uh, the path of least resistance is what makes men and rivers crooked. And so learning that, you know, anything, combining that with what my my parents taught me at a young age, anything worth doing is worth doing well. Uh, I actually sat down, uh, read a book. It was called The E-Myth by Michael Gerber. Mm -hmm. It's an outstanding book. I'm sure you've heard of it. I developed the prototype for my business because what did I know? I knew that business owners really struggled with financial management. And so every business owner has a big dream for their business and they wanna make it happen. But financially they struggle with which levers to pull to increase their profitability. So the courage that I think it took to actually go out on my own, start calling on some of the uh, clients as well as some of the uh, professionals that I'd worked with in my banking career saying, you know, I'm, I'm not a banker anymore. Uh, I'm going to do this. Uh, I love to read Harlan, so there are a lot of books that really inspired me along the way. Um, but I, I do think it, it, it took and of course maybe as much courage as I give myself because, uh, uh, you know, when you come as zero, there's only one way it can go. Right. <laughs> Absolutely, And so, so uh, uh, being, being able to, uh, to go out and dart and, and build an income.
0: Oops. Stand by. I may have lost you. You froze up a little bit.
1: Yeah. My internet connection, I think might've been a little unstable. Sorry Just about that. Little. You did go underwater a little bit and came back. Okay. Out. Should we come um, back?
0: Yeah. Start back with you like to read a lot.
1: Yeah, so uh, uh, the first book I think I mentioned to you was uh, uh, The E-Myth by Michael Gerber, uh, created the uh, prototype uh, uh, for my business. Uh, there was another book uh, that was recommended to me. So so I have a coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, every coach has a coach. Absolutely. And my coach recommended a book titled uh, Let's Get Real or Let's Not Play uh, by Martin Kalsa, K-H-A-L-S-A. And so really that gave me some of the, uh, foundation for, as I'm talking to a business owner, um, you know, what is the opportunity, uh, what resources do they need and things like that. So that really uh, certainly helped me. Um, there is another book, uh, called primal leadership by Daniel Goleman. Uh, I found that my IQ was pretty decent. But my EQ, my emotional quotient, uh, could use a little work. And so Goldman talks about in his book that as people are talking, uh, we have what's called an open limbic system. And we can tell whether or not the conversation that we're generating is either creating harmony or resonance or creating disharmony, dissonance. And so a lot of times... uh, As I'm talking to potential coaching clients, uh, I'm getting a sense, is there good resonance with the relationship? Uh, The last one uh, was a book uh, called uh, uh, Clients for Life, uh, how to go from an expert for hire to a client advisor and what are some of the attributes of a client advisor so that one can have uh, clients uh, for life. And so that helped me really understand what are some of the things that are important uh, to a business owner in in being a a coach. So um, recently, probably the best book that I've read is Carol Dweck's book called Mindset. And one of the epiphanies for me, Harlan, was really in order to deal with skill set, you have to deal with mindset first. And so I understand that I have a fixed mindset about certain things. I'm not going to improve in that area. You know, I'm about 15 pounds overweight. I'd love to tell you I could be really good at weight loss, but right now I've got a pretty fixed mindset about my weight and I'm not working on it, (laughs) even though I should, um, But I think for many things uh, what Carol says in her book is having a growth mindset, understanding that life isn't a destination, it's a journey Mm -hmm. and how we approach that journey, uh, whether our mindset is fixed uh, or whether we can adopt a grown grown mindset and learn and adapt and change uh, to our circumstances. And so probably over the last year or two, I've really tried to dig into a lot of the clients uh, that I work with into their mindset because before we talk about improving their business, uh, we have to understand what might be holding them back. Uh, I have something I call SLBs, which are self-limiting beliefs. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: All of us have them. Uh, I know I have my share, uh, maybe a little more than my share, uh, but as we can get uh, through those self-limiting beliefs, uh, and really go on to recognizing our full potential. Um, you know that uh, I think that's something that's that's absolutely critical.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Like you said, work on the mindset first, right? Yeah, to, uh, no to get them together. So, do you have a, a certain niche you work with, a certain group or, or industry? I love,
1: you yeah, I love professional services firms, uh, architects, uh, engineers, marketing agencies. Uh, all, di- all types of uh, uh, medical, dental, psychological services. Uh, I've done work with an interior designer. So uh, I love professional services firms. Uh, to our earlier point, they're usually great technicians at their craft, uh, but they really struggle with the business aspect of their practice. Um, I've got several manufacturers. Uh, I've got a metal fabricator Uh, I've worked with contractors uh, in the past, Um, but I'd say my, you know, my favorite clients are, are really ones that are in the professional services arena.
0: And it's funny because speaking with the professional services groups, the lawyers, the doctors, the dentists, the chiropractors, you know, they are taught in school how to do the, the the task, right, uh, law, medical, whatever it happens to be, they're not really taught how to run their office, how to build their office, how to work with employees, how to hire. And we don't, even in, in school, we don't teach our kids how to do home budget, much less uh, business, running a business yeah. and finances and things like that. That's,
1: that's so true. I had a uh, client who had a uh, psychology practice, uh, three locations, uh, very successful. Uh, but she was really struggling at improving her cash flow and improving her profitability. And so the first two things that we set out uh, to do were first, uh, her receivables are from insurance companies. Insurance companies hang on to their money as long as they possibly can. Right. They, they don't want to send it. So the first thing we did is we uh, actually had someone in the office become accountable 100% for collections. And probably over the course of a year through improving those collections, we got almost a hundred thousand dollars of cash that was out of receivables and and sitting in cash on a permanent basis. Uh, The next thing we did was there was a lot of open time uh, on the schedule for the therapists to work with clients. Mm -hmm. And so little known fact, Harlan is a, 1% increase in revenue usually equates to about a 10% increase in net profit. And so, what really happened is through getting that scheduler involved, looking for all the holes where schedules could be filled, working with the 27 therapists, uh, over two years, we were actually able to increase this practice's revenue uh, by 64%. And so, excellent. So part of that was um, getting uh, revenue increased mm-hmm. so that um, so that she could really you know run the business successfully and and we were able to do that.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, a lot of times it's just highlighting, you know, or putting a spotlight on those areas. Um, I was working with one client where their receivables, they were out 60, 90 days or more, you know, for a lot wow. of their receivables. They would complete a job in the field. It would take them almost two weeks to complete their paperwork before it would even go to invoice. And then it would take almost 10 days to get an invoice out. And then it would take 60 to 90 days to get paid. Once we put the spotlight on that, all that came back down. Their jobs were completed. Paperwork was done in three days. Three days, the invoice went out and they got paid within the 30, 45 days period. So, you know, it's not always about revenue. A lot of times it's just kind of cleaning up what you're doing, right? Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Yeah. yeah, similar situation I had with a manufacturing client, they had never taken deposits before on orders. And so uh, the market uh, actually allowed them to start taking 50% deposits up front, which cut their receivables in half mm-hmm. and, you know, doubled their, doubled their cash flow. Yeah,
0: very cool. That is awesome. So, tell take me through the process. If you start to work with somebody, is there a certain methodology you follow? Is there a certain process you go through? What are the what are the main steps?
1: Yeah, you know. Um, so, depending on where the business is, uh, generally we start with the present, and the present is really looking at uh, the most recent year end and the two end, two year ends prior. And we're analyzing the financial statements. So I'm coming at the business from a a financial point of view. uh, And I'm really leaning in hard on four things, Harlan. I'm leaning in on profitability, uh, either gross profit or net profit. Uh, Obviously, net is after overhead. I'm looking at how are they collecting their receivables and how they're turning their inventory, seeing what their liquidity is uh, and what their asset quality is, Then I'm looking at liquidity. How many days sales uh, do they have in cash? Uh, And then the last thing that I look at is leverage. How much debt do they have relative to their equity? So I have an acronym that I call P-A-L-L, profitability, asset quality, liquidity, and leverage. And then once I sit down with them, generally, if they're performing really, really well, or not performing well, there are usually five things uh, that are that are causing some issues. Uh, they have people issues. Uh, they either don't have accountability for functions, or uh, the second one is is processes. They don't have documented processes, uh, and they're not being followed, even if they are in writing. So, people and processes. The number we can Number one weakness in a growing firm, in my experience, is marketing. So we need to be sure that they have a well-conceived strategy, that they're clearly differentiating themselves in their marketing. And then uh, fourth is execution. As they go to market, are they effective? Are they uh, efficient? Are they doing the right things and doing the right things right? Uh, And then the last one is cash. Uh, Growth always requires cash. Growth always increases complexity. So if the company is doing well or not doing well, it's usually a function of people, processes, strategy, execution, and cash. So generally what we're doing is a meeting that I have with client would look like going through their most recent monthly financials, talking about trends that are going on in the business. You know, uh, you can't manage what you don't measure. And so I keep a financial scorecard and we look at trends in those four areas I mentioned, profitability, asset, quality, liquidity, leverage. And then we really focus and do a deeper dive into one of those five aspects. And then generally, we're rotating through those uh, and making improvements. Um, I'm a big believer in making gradual but continuous improvement. In each of those areas, the Japanese call that Kaizen. Kaizen, And further, from a financial standpoint, I'm looking for those 1% increases in sales, whether it's price or volume. I'm looking for that 1% decrease in their cost of services or their cost of goods. I'm looking for those 1% decreases in overhead, if possible. And then I'm trying to collect one day faster. And I'm also trying to pay payables. One day slower. I nice. still within terms. Right. Um, but I'm trying to generate profit and I'm trying to generate cash flow for those business owners.
0: Excellent. Yeah. It's, you don't need to make big changes. Number one, you don't need to make all the changes at once. Yeah. Because then you're not sure exactly what it was that you changed that made the impact. Yeah. So you're spot pick on. One thing, fix that, reevaluate, pick the next thing. Mike Mikalowicz in his book, Fix This Next, he talks about yeah. that. Yeah. Identify that one thing that is out of whack, and and usually it's somewhere in your sales or, or your marketing area, right? Fix that, and then see how things improve, and then find the next thing that you can improve and do that yeah. kind of step yeah. by Yeah, yeah, good stuff. So let's talk about courage. Um, yes. we, we talk about it in in you know the the repo area how you had to have courage. Just going door to door is a little scary, especially these days. But sure. to go up and and try to collect from somebody has got to be tough, but there's other kinds of courage that that we come into um, as, as leaders, things that we have to do intellectual courage, the, the ability to set aside your long held beliefs and the knowledge you currently have to make room for new knowledge, right? Cause there's always mm-hmm. new knowledge out there. Empathetic courage, uh, social courage, saying what needs to be said, even if it's unpopular or, or difficult to say. Um, as far as the, the courage, when you were furloughed from the bank, right? You had a decision to make. You could either go back and work for someone else or you could start your own business. For a lot of people, that is, is scary. That's kind of fear. But you took that step. Where did that, where did that courage come from?
1: Um, you know, that's, that's a great question. Um, I have a, uh, I have a deep faith in God uh, and without going in, deep into that conversation, uh, uh, I do believe that, uh, that the Bible speaks specifically to, uh, the fact that all things, uh, happen for a reason. And so I didn't necessarily take, um, that necessarily as a setback, even though it was, uh, I, I had to adopt the mindset, uh, that he's in control of my life by faith uh, that he has a plan for my life. My plan didn't include banking anymore. It included something else. But I also had a belief that whatever plan was about to unfold was for my good. And so part of that courage, I would I would say, is certainly maybe a moral courage. Uh, anyone who has deep, deep convictions in their faith, whatever their faith walk is, um, if you, if you believe that there is a divine destiny uh, for your life, then really that does take some of the fear away from it. Um, and it also, I think, allows that conviction uh, because as you know, courage, uh, the, the Latin word is, is uh, core or heart. Mm-hmm. And so uh, being able to have your heart and your head connected towards a a purpose um, does does take away the fear. So I'd say for me, uh, even though there were tears, there were sleepless nights, um, as that plan unfolds, uh, you don't have the benefit of that windshield view, uh, but you you still are driving the car anyway. It's only after you've done it for a while can you look in the rearview mirror and and at least understand a glimpse of what that path was going going to look like.
0: Absolutely. And then having a spouse, right, that supports
1: I know yes. that I couldn't
0: do what I do without the support of my wife. Absolutely. Um, yeah.
1: Absolutely. And and Martha and I um uh both uh walked that path together. Obviously she was uh, also employed. Uh, but we had two daughters in college at that time, so needless to say, we were motivated. <laughs> I asked my daughters after the fact, uh, "Did you ever have any concern that you might not be able to finish school if Mom and Dad didn't have the income to uh, handle that?" And I, you know, I think there might have been a certain element of that, but but maybe uh, maybe not as much an awareness uh, at. 18, 19, or 20 that they do at 30, 31. Sure. Uh, so we have two daughters that are uh, uh, 34 and 32 this year.
0: Very cool. Um, is there a type of, of courage that you think, uh, working with your clients, is there something you see them that you have to help them kind of find that courage in themselves that there's fear there when you're in business, there's always a little bit of fear. Courage is, is feeling the fear and doing what needs to be done anyway, right? So can you think of any experiences or any examples?
1: Yeah, I think uh, uh, I can, I think of one. So uh, I was working with a a very well-established engineering firm and uh, that engineering firm had a succession plan. And uh, when the uh, CEO uh, retired, uh, there was a new CEO stepped in, incredibly sharp guy, uh, but had never been a CEO. Uh, the management uh, had perpetuated um, the business comes to us. We don't actually have to go out and develop the business. Uh, if I do a good job, uh, the organization is going to take care of me, uh, regardless of what I've what I've done. There was some complacency that had crept into the organization, uh, and probably the last thing was. Um, they really weren't doing much in the way of either developing client relationships or developing the talent uh, that was in the organization. So a new CEO coming in is literally overwhelmed with business development, talent development, talent management, and actually creating a leadership team uh, that uh, that would truly collaborate, uh, but this CEO was committed uh, and courageous at starting, um, and so developed a, a new theme of collaboration. You know, we're going to collaborate on these issues. We're going to collaborate about how we develop business. We're going to collaborate on how we develop talent, how we manage our talent, and so. Um, This leader, I think at first was very overwhelmed, but he was courageous in that he set the issues up and together we knocked them down uh, one by one. You know, he uh, talked about a 3 legged stool uh, that basically needs to stand with three legs, which were business development, talent development, and talent management. And so, on those three legs, he really totally changed the direction of the organization, as well as the acceleration of the organization. That that firm has been highly successful, has had significant year over year growth, is doing a fabulous job of cultivating people. Uh, all of because he had the courage to basically break the paradigm of. It's always been done this way and uh, literally uh, had a growth mindset himself set about uh, creating a growth mindset in his direct reports and then on into the uh, engineering staff, whether it was project management or business development and just did an outstanding job in the organization. Nice.
0: Yeah, that is, that is awesome. Yeah. That growth mindset definitely, helps but the courage to say i don't have all the answers and i'm open to suggestions i'm open to to your input because a lot of times especially when you're talking about business processes the people who are down on the shop floor doing the work probably know where the inefficiencies are happening they know where tweaks can happen and for a manager somebody up in the offices to come in and say i want you to do it this way that may be the exact wrong thing to do it's better to step back and say what have you seen how can how can we improve this? You know, if you, if you could improve this, what would you do? You know, get their ideas and suggestions. Not only do you end up solving the problem, but you also build that loyalty because now this person has, you know, kind of created this process or improved this process. And so they're going to follow that process a lot more.
1: Yeah. I can even think of another example, uh, but similar, but different. So, um, I work with the CEO of a manufacturing firm. And this firm has achieved, uh, year over year, just uh, uh, significant growth. Uh, This CEO has been willing to say, uh, my core values are, uh, I don't have all the answers. But I believe I've put together a team that uh, if we know how to ask the right questions, uh, those answers will surface. Treats their uh, clients as well as their employees like family, uh, is interested in fostering uh, a spirit of cooperation, uh, embracing a spirit of lifelong learning, again, back to the growth mindset. And so it is pretty courageous for a CEO to openly say, Hey, I don't have all the answers, but I believe we together. Uh, can find the answers you know back to the uh, uh, to how a piece of rope is made you know piece of rope starts out as a single twine and then there is uh, a larger piece of twine and then those twines are bound together uh, and then a bigger group is bound together and pretty soon you've got a piece of rope uh, that you just can't break and so there's strength in numbers and uh, the CEO doesn't have to have all the answers. As a matter of fact, probably the best ones out there are ones that, that are willing to admit they don't. Exactly.
0: Absolutely. Uh, so talking about leadership, um, is there somebody in your past that stands out as a real true leader, somebody that you model yourself after?
1: Gosh. Um, well, again, being a person of faith, uh, I would have to say, uh, I think Jesus modeled servant leadership. Um, I would also say, um, someone like, uh, uh, Reverend Martin Luther King, uh, exhibited leadership during a a time in my life. Uh, certainly, uh, uh, the, I have a dream speech, uh, left an impression on me, even though I was, uh, nine years old. Uh, I still think that he, uh, uh, was a great leader. Uh, if I think about, uh great leadership, uh, in the military. So I'm, I'm a big fan of the movie that George C. Scott was in, uh, Patton, uh, probably not the type of leadership that, uh, one would want to emulate. Uh, but, uh, I I just remember a line in the movie, uh, uh, he was riding in his Jeep and, uh, one of the foot soldiers says, yeah, there goes old blood and guts. He said, yeah, our blood, his guts. And so that that made an impression, maybe of of a, a leadership uh, uh, example not to follow. A um, couple of people at at SunTrust uh, really stick out. Uh, I have a, uh, uh, I have a coach uh, who uh, I think really models servant leadership well. And so uh, those are the those are the examples that come to mind, Harlan. Nice.
0: And what do you look for in a leader?
1: Well, I think uh, a combination of factors. I think first, what differentiates, um, what differentiates most leaders is uh, leaders have, have vision. Um, you know, I've often said leadership, leaders have vision, managers manage a process. Uh, and so a leader has the ability to, um, to see in their mind's eye where they're going. And then I think uh, back to that courage and that conviction, uh, they even see it so clearly themselves uh, that they have inspiration uh, that make people want to follow them. Uh, Probably some of the other characteristics, um, I do think it, uh, uh, I think it takes a level of humility uh, to be an effective leader, uh, again, back to the point: you don't have to have all the answers. You just need to know how to ask the right questions. Um, probably going, going with which would also be compassion, uh, being able to understand uh, when your uh, when your team that you're leading is uh, is worn out and maybe just needs a little bit of a break. Uh, I have a, a CEO that I work with. Um, if he were a, if he were climbing a mountain with his team, he would always be 30 or 40 yards ahead of his team saying, come on up the hill. It's easy. Come on. And the team is worn out. They're saying, Hey, slow down up there. You come back down here with us. And so part of that compassion is knowing where you are in relationship to, to where your team is. So probably those would be uh, those would be some of the aspects: humility, compassion, vision. Uh, I'm sure there are others that I'm you know that I'm missing, but uh, those are the ones that kind of stand out to me.
0: I think those are the big ones. Absolutely. So tell me about your podcast, Profit Sense. Ah,
1: so uh, Profit Sense was born out of uh, a couple of things. Uh, my grandfather was a fabulous storyteller, and so he was uh, he was an editor for the Chicago Daily News uh, he wrote for a lot of periodicals, but he told human interest stories and so at a very early age uh, I saw uh, how he told stories um, but probably it wasn't until two years ago where I was approached by uh, 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 John Ray who hosts North Fulton business radio X and John said, Bill, you know, you ought to do a, you ought to do a show. Uh, And so Harlan, they say opportunity is where luck and preparation intersect. So I was lucky that John asked me to to do a show uh, at, you know, at 65 years old, two years ago, I, um, Certainly had a collection of stories and a collection of experiences, and so profit sense was born to help business owners tell their success stories. Because I believe business owners are heroes; hmm. they're the ones that go out there day after day, uh, slug it out in the tran- uh, in the trenches, making business happen. You know, America would not be what it is if it weren't for the uh, Uh, business owners like you and I. And so um, telling those stories and also inviting uh, the professionals uh, that guide those business owners, um, CPAs, attorneys, you know, bankers, um, business advisors, uh, wealth advisors, you know, professions like that, having them on the show, and really just listening to, to those stories so so I've been doing it it'll actually be three years uh, this coming October uh, but it's been a uh, it's been a just a, a great experience and great I'm great. sure you've had similar experiences on your podcast too, haven't you?:
0: Oh yeah, lots of, lots of great stories from people how they they got through those difficult times, the divorce, yeah. the bankruptcy, you know the illness that sure. knocked most people out and they get back up, dust themselves off and keep going.
1: Yeah, and so those people, you know, they're heroes. It took courage for them to uh, uh, to pick themselves up despite all their circumstances because it's very easy to say, uh, I quit or I can't or I won't. Uh, and so, uh, you know, those people are heroes that they have gone, despite their circumstances, have gone on and led, you know, successful lives.
0: Absolutely. And like you said, they're, the small businesses—they create the jobs. That's what keeps our economy going. They do. You know, the, the they do. So Absolutely. You know,
1: we're we're very privileged to to live in America. Uh, I believe we have the greatest economy in the world. Uh, I think that economy has been built on many successful businesses, big and small. Uh, what's really been interesting to me, Harlan, talking about working for someone else versus working for yourself. Um, if, so, if you're employed by someone else, you're always letting that employer determine your market value out there in the marketplace. Uh, it's only until you can um, uh, find out what, um, you know, true value is in the market by, by going
0: out on your own. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm going to take that as a little snippet and use that because <laughs> one of the groups that I'm working with, is, I was a consultant, management consultant for 30 years. Working with those independent consultants, those business professionals who, through maybe no choice of their own, find themselves looking for a job. It's like, why not take all that experience, the expertise you have, the years of knowledge, and put that out on the open market? Become an independent consultant, right? Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it no is. question. And so, you know, taking a page out of Jim Collins's book, Good to Great, uh, generally what the book talks about is, is, What makes a great company is that there are three things that all intersect. Uh, What are you passionate about? What are you best in the world at? And what drives your your economic engine? And so what I was passionate about was making business owners better financial managers. What am I best in the world at? Well, my clients in banking told me, Bill, you're a good teacher and you have the ability to make hard concepts simple. And what's going to drive my economic engine? Taking all that uh banking experience and knowledge and monetizing it to help business owners become better financial managers. So uh I would just uh encourage uh those people that are maybe contemplating out on to go out on their own, go for it. Uh don't let the market determine your value. You know, go out or don't let that employer determine your value, let the marketplace uh decide your value. What I found out is uh I was tremendously underpaid.
0: And that, yeah, and that happens more often than you know. Absolutely. Good stuff. Bill, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on the show. If people want to learn more about you and the programs you have, how can they How can they get in touch with you? What's your yeah.
1: website? Well, the best way is to go to uh, the profitability coach, all lowercase.net. Uh, my email is bill at the profitability coach dot net. And then uh, uh, my mobile number uh, is 770-597-3136. Any one of those three ways, you can get in touch with me. Uh, And I would love to help business owners uh, that are looking for help to increase their their profitability and their cash flow. And it's been an absolute delight to come on your show. And uh, thank you so much for having me.
0: Absolutely. No, this has been great. All right. I will make sure that all of those Links are in the show notes so people will know how to get in touch with you. Right. Great, and great. Listeners, hope you guys were taking a lot of notes, a lot of good information here. And definitely don't let your employer determine your value. Indeed. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Listeners, share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for you.